1: Over 1000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com/allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com/a l a n
0: for all of us. It's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right.
2: One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck.
0: Embracing change
1: creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show I've got Carrie Cypher. She's the GM for North America at Global Web Index. On the show today, we talk about the changing American consumer, and I think many of these insights probably go much beyond the American consumer, but one of the stats to start with is only 9% of people believe that they see themselves represented in the ads that they see. Now, that's a pretty strong indictment of the advertising industry and us as marketers, so I hope you'll listen in to what Carrie has to share with us about the changing needs and how we should be thinking about our target audience these days. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Carrie Cypher. Carrie, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: I thought we could start with your background and you have had a diverse set of industry experiences from publishing and media to technology to the agency side and now on the data and insights side. So maybe you could just give us a little recap of like how you got to where you are.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I've uh, I've certainly and confessed deliberately tried to keep things diverse and learn all aspects of our crazy media and technology business. I'm mean, going to have to say I had a lot of good coaching and advice along the way and asked a lot of questions and studied other careers I admired. So that that certainly helps. But I would say it kind of breaks down into two stages. You know, I think earlier in my career, I was really more interested in what was emerging, what was new, what could I do that was on the forefront. So I think when you look at my resume, the thing that is probably the most interesting is the timing. So when I was in mobile was before anyone really cared about mobile and the internet and social, etc. So a lot of people just kind of looked at that that as a glutton for punishment, right? Because it was, you know, trying to sell Vindigo's City Guide on Palm Pilots to companies, like that sort of thing. Like, oh, that sounds horrible. And also even like wired digital in the, in the mid-90s, right? Before people were actually buying banners, trying to figure that out. But then I actually got some great advice, which was to think a little bit more about what I wanted to do last and move backwards, And so, instead of kind of just trying to climb and inch my way up, like I think a lot of people think of their careers, it got me thinking much more creatively about what I wanted to learn, kind of just bigger and more creative. And so, that's what led me to companies like publicists, so I could get on the buy side and get sort of a bird's eye view of things. And IBM, which allowed me to really dig into kind of how technology and process works. And what I ultimately decided in this last transition was. I think I do like kind of medium to smaller size companies better. It just suits me. And I wanted a growing marketplace with a product that deserves to win with really principled, hardworking people. And I, I think I found it in Global Web Index.
1: Yeah. Well, congrats on the new, you know, it's relatively new role as GM at Global Web Index. Tell us a little bit more about the company. Like what what are you guys doing and where did the company start, I guess, as well?
2: Sure, sure. So Global Web Index, or sometimes uh, I'll call it GWI for short, is a global market research company. So we're all about delivering consumer insights in very modern ways to the best companies on the planet. So media companies like NBC and Warner Media, tech companies like Slack and Google, all of the major agency holding companies, Publicis, WPP, Omnicom, and a whole bunch of enterprise brands. So Samsung's a client, Unilever, and we do it in 46 different countries. So basically you would come to us if you need to understand the consumer's perspective on anything, right? So we survey hundreds and thousands of people a year asking about their digital lifestyle and views of current attitudes and events, device usage, who they trust and why, views on economy, how they feel about race. And so all of that, you know, all of those companies I listed are are really trying to as quickly as possible understand this ever changing consumer perspective landscape we've been at it about 10 years and fairly bootstrapped for a while and only recently you know started growing very fast and again we're i think one of those companies where in this pandemic if you were kind of a digital native which we are you could serve quickly and and do quite well
1: i'd love to talk about some of the data and the the insights that you're seeing you had sent me i think a uh, uh, report so to speak of the changing American consumer and um, maybe we could start with just like what motivated you know looking at the data in that way and then we could talk about some of the data itself
2: yeah yeah I mean it you know it was motivated as many products are uh, by our clients. Right. Our clients are like, holy cow, this is, this, humans are so complex. These are complex times. Can we get a sort of US only data set to really help us understand some of these more modern? and very emotional topics that are stemming from Americans right now. So really, it was kind of inspired by them. And so we went out into the market several months ago and are able to sort of deliver on a lot of these topics that are hard to talk about, hard to quantify, hard to figure out what to to do with. So, so some examples are, you know, we asked a lot of questions around race and, and diversity. And when it comes to, let's say, topics like BLM, the, the data shows that customers want brands. In addition to supporting the community, customers are making their decisions based on how a company reviews their own hiring practices around diversity. And even, you know, what is your, they'll, they'll look at your management team to see if there's diversity on the website before they'll buy your toothpaste, right? Like that's how sophisticated people are getting and what they're saying is important to them. And so they're even, I mean, even sort of younger consumers are looking at the supply chain of the people, the companies they spend money with to make sure that there's diversity in a supply chain. Like I even got an RFP the other day that basically said, what's your pricing? What's your product? What are your diversity numbers? I need all three if you want to win my business. So it's been really, really interesting to both see the consumer research and have the consumers tell us what they want companies to do around race and diversity. But then also I'm seeing it sort of in my own business practices as well. Just as an example of, how it's all playing out.
1: If we start with U.S. consumer and what they see from us, so the advertising and the media they're consuming, what did the data tell you?
2: So yeah, it seems that the data shows that consumers have adapted quite well from a media consumption perspective, and they actually like the results, which means a lot of the habits I'm about to share that a lot of people know about, there's a lot of questions like, okay, will this stick in a post-pandemic world? And what the consumers are now trending towards is that, oh, I, I like this new behavior. So their daily lives have become more efficient more budget friendly. There's a lot around more sustainability and therefore kind of more enjoyable and they feel a little bit better about themselves. So there's actually a lot of these new behaviors that I'm about to talk about are, we think will stick because there's actually a lot of positive outcome. People are liking the results. So as an example, the younger audiences that are consuming media, what we're finding in general is that they haven't shifted behaviors but they've turned up the volume. So uh, video streaming, music streaming, we're not seeing a lot of shifts in behavior as much as just more, more of it. So if you're, let's say, a media company or you're trying to find a younger consumer, it seems to be consolidating even more, but not necessarily towards the players you think. I would look at music streaming and video. But the thing that I actually found very interesting is in older consumers or the boomers, they're engaging in a lot of new digital activities for the first time. Their digital literacy has been forced to increase because of the imp- this pandemic. So streaming services are getting new customers in the in, in boomers, um, social media, online TV. All of this digital activity is starting to see not just increased usage from younger consumers, but new usage from older consumers. And so those brands that are recognizing boomers as a new customer are doing quite well. One strange example example that the data showed for me strange anyway is um, is gaming so they're embracing big gaming in much greater numbers so like in Q1 between Q1 and Q2 to 2020 the gaming numbers in boomers grew from 57% to 65% and so, like, I've had some conversations with their researchers, like, oh, okay, so they're doing casual games on their phone. But no, 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 it's actually not true. They're increasing their PC and laptop usage on gaming, which means boomers are becoming hardcore gamers, right? So they're not just sort of, like, playing, like, casual games on their phone anymore. They're really getting into gaming. And so just as a as a usage, something that sort of seems really interesting is is that from a Boomer's perspective? Some and I'm I'm actually like I've so I've been trying to with this data I've been trying to look at companies that I think are doing a good job here. And I was listening to another podcast interviewing the CEO of PayPal and what they're doing in what they and others call sort of silver tech. And so I would I would just sort of say you know paying attention to Boomers right now as a new customer base. If you are if you have your digital act together, could be a really great opportunity based on the data.
1: That's awesome. I mean, one of the things that stood out to me as I was like flipping through the report is that the distrust, frankly, of media, and it's kind of a sad, I guess, a sad reflection that, you know, there's this distrust of the media, but also it seemed like a healthy, maybe not a majority, but a healthy distrust of social media too. And I guess that the other piece to the equation here, and maybe this goes to the trust to some degree, is that they don't a lot of consumers don't see themselves represented in the advertising that we're creating for them. So uh, curious, anything you, you, you're thinking about as it relates to that, but also the fact that we need to challenge, I guess, our own assumptions about who the consumers are that we're trying to target or, or represent um, as well.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was We were putting together our own ad campaign the other day, and I just looked at my head of marketing and I said, oh my gosh, your job is so hard right now. Your job is so hard right now for all the reasons you just stated, but um so just to put some some numbers to some of those those things you just mentioned, let's start with the trust issue. so the research shows that forty one percent of Americans don't trust traditional media channels, and twenty three percent don't trust social media at all and almost the opportunity there i think for for everyone is that over seventy percent would like to see fake news filtered out of social media. So some of the, you know, so so as, you know, some of these social media channels really try and figure out how to police fake news, they should know that Americans want that policing. So I thought that was kind of really interesting, not only that they don't trust it today, but there's an actual solve that they want that they're asking for that that they should continue to go with. So I thought that was really interesting. On a, I mean on a happier note, if you were Trying to figure out, though, how to get information to the American public, knowing that they don't trust so much of media, 42% of people agreed that updates from health organizations was very trustworthy. And so when they see, and they've even sort of anecdotally said, when they see nurses and doctors and professionals giving them information, they actually trust it quite a bit. And only a third of Americans trust what the government tells them. So as you're, you know, so if, 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 trust is an issue and you have real information that you've got to get out into the public, there's, there's just sort of some stats to play with and to ponder as you're kind of trying to build that.
1: Yeah, I know as you're thinking about, I mean, it's kind of mind boggling, frankly, that only a third, I think if I get the number right, only a third or two trust the government right now. If I'm a brand and I'm trying to build trust, wow, the bar the bar is pretty low, I guess.
2: It's a good point, though. I, I think it is an opportunity. If, if trust is so low right now, you know, really doing right by your customer right now in new and profound ways would go a long way.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, just the small demonstrations of it, I would imagine could go a very long way of of building that trust with given the distrust that they have in general.
2: Um, Yeah. And one thing sort of just to just to be even anecdotal, and this has nothing to do with GWI, but I was, you know, just I'm, I'm paying attention, you know, seeing all these stats, I'm paying attention to sort of who's doing it well and who's not. And one, one thing, I don't know, I hesitate to call it a campaign, but one initiative that I thought was really interesting is Good humor. I don't know if you saw what they did with their songs and their trucks, but the song that they had playing on their trucks was an incredibly, had incredibly racist lyrics. And, and, you know, these lyrics have been around for for years and years and years. And so they hired Reza to come in and build them a new jingle. Right. So that's not necessarily an ad campaign. That's just evolving your way of working. And it, it's a beautiful new jingle built by someone who's out there trying to do something really positive and good humor kind of recognize like, oh, we can't we can't have this jingle on our trucks anymore. So it's really like interesting stuff like that is is happening. And that's how I think really smart brands are gaining Trust back in the community right now
1: yeah, that's a fantastic example. I had not heard that I'll have to have to check that out for sure. You know, one of the things another area that I pulled out from the report and the data was just this notion of as marketers and even as a market researcher myself like you start to lump people together right. You say, well, let's talk about Gen Z or let's talk about millennials or even, you know, let's talk about boomers. But this notion that you guys highlighted, which is there's a lot of diversity even within those labels, which makes perfect logical sense. But I think we forget it. <laughs> you know, we forget that these groups are not homogenous. They're very heterogeneous. They're very diverse within themselves. So I don't know if you could talk about that because you guys also mentioned this concept of intersectionality. I think if, I, if I've got that right, which I thought was a really, really interesting
2: concept. I love working with researchers. They're so smart and so detail oriented. But anyway, so that's, let's so say it's true. So we, the most recent research of Americans, even though we're a global company, again, we have this U.S. only data set, only 9% of Americans Felt like they were properly represented in the advertising they see. And it only goes down when you slice it up by race and ethnicity. And so clearly that the thing that made me so sad about that is I know firsthand, having worked at an ad agency, how much money and time we spend on targeting the right customer, only to not have it play out in the creative people see. And so it could be just because it's very hard to do at scale, but it could be because of why you just said, which is people are very, very complex. And this intersectionality, you know, people, marketers, they'll come at it sometimes from a demo perspective, from a targeting, from a demo perspective. But what we're sort of seeing is you really need to come at it from a common interest perspective. You can't make assumptions about the interest of the person, no matter what race, color, creed they're a part of. So, so a couple of examples that have us really exploring this trend is that 51% of LGBTQ plus Americans don't consider themselves politically liberal, which is right. So, so there's like, oh, okay. So don't make assumptions there. Or 12% of Hispanic people also identify as black. And then just one more for you is 20% of Americans with their own long-term health condition are also caregivers for someone else. Okay. Okay. Final one is, is that there's also an increase in multi-generational households. So let's say you're an advertiser and you think you're targeting a boomer household. There's now a kid home from college sitting in that household too. So the good news is you've got more impressions per that could be good for ROI. The bad news is if you think you're targeting a boomer and you're creating a message just for a boomer, you're not. And so just as sort of some, some stats around what you just mentioned and why it is so, so complex, I think targeting by demo those days, people have threatened to not be targeting by demo for a long time, but that 9% stat shows you haven't gotten it right yet. And the way to get it right is, is really sort of think about their interest group the interest before the demo.
1: Right, right. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I don't know how many briefs I've seen either on the agency side or as a marketing leads with the demos, right? <laughs> like, you know, we were trying to get the 18 to 24 group, that upmarket focused or style focused. And, and it, we really need to flip the script, it seems like, you know. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Like, okay, well, what's what are the passion points that we're trying to connect with? These interest points, if you will. And then let's speak to everybody because everybody has the capability of having that interest point.
2: Right, right. Yeah. A whole different starting point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. It really makes you think about deeply, I guess, you know, what what goes into your brief? Like what who am I when and when I say who, not age, color, race, ethnicity, groups, but like, what's the mental state of the person that I'm trying to connect with? And how do I light them up in that regard? So made me really deeply think about it after looking at the data that you guys had.
2: We're seeing, I mean, it's, it's true. And we're seeing some media companies really doing a good job with this. Because they're coming to us saying, I need to better understand the interest groups of my audience, not just because they're on our, my finance channel or looking at these types of videos, but truly sort of questioning my audience for their interest groups and then using that to sell to brands And then brands are like, okay, so I need to map the interest group of the people buying what I need them to buy with this media channel. So it's interesting. So that's, I think, why we have such a diverse list of customers right now, both on the buy side and the sell side, because of this interest group being so important versus demo. It's a hard thing to know. And it's, as you're saying, something that cannot be assumed anymore.
1: Right. Well, and it, it... It also makes you think about, I mean, I have been an agency side myself, and I know you have as well. And it starts me down this path of like, we really need more diversity in the agency environment as well. And what I mean by that is not just like this color of people's skin, but the mentality for lack of a better word you know like smart creative progressive people usually group together right <laughs> like but i don't know how many boomers exist within ad agencies today not very many i can tell you that <laughs> you know uh, so just age is one one factor and not making sure that they're representative of, of all the populations we're trying to talk to and speak to
2: even i you know i've been i've been trying to use this data personally also just as a leader in just not making assumptions right i mean i I live in New York. A lot of my team is in New York. We have most of our staff in London. So you make assumptions that that there's a very kind of progressive group of people working at GWI. But I think that that's unfair and you have to be really careful as a leader to make assumptions about the people you're leading because if your job is to motivate them and you're making assumptions about maybe how they view some of these bigger issues societally you you'll alienate them they won't be as engaged so for me it's like it's really helped me as a leader not make assumptions about the people i'm trying to get the most out of and keep happy at work etc but it's so hard it's so hard because then, you know, so so you're careful about what you don't say, but you still have to say something. You still have to motivate with something. So I think it's actually the data has been really helpful for me as a leader in not making assumptions about the people I'm trying to motivate.
1: Yeah, no, that's so true. That's so true. I mean, this it, is not something just related to the, the audience we're trying to reach with our marketing and our, our advertising, but it's reflective of our teams as well. So it's funny. You're working with a bunch of marketers, companies today. Any advice or, or thoughts about how we, the companies and marketers you, you may be working with, need to be thinking about how we're serving people differently or, or how we think about who we're serving? I mean, we've been talking about a number of different areas, but just curious if you had any additional thoughts.
2: Yeah. One, one thing that could be really interesting for marketers right now is when we research kind of what people just care about in general, safety has become first and foremost, what they care about, right? Their safety, their family safety, you know, that that's obviously on the entire planet's mind, which means that, that what is coming second, third, and fourth are things that we thought they cared about. And one thing that has taken a backseat is some of this tech angst or privacy and suspicion towards technology has actually slowed down. So the, the number one thing on people's mind and consumers' mind is safety. And so how are you as a brand keeping people safe when they're purchasing your brand? Versus what I would say eight months ago or even 10 months ago, we were seeing people care about privacy and how are you protecting my data and how are you using my data? It's not to say people don't care about that still, but I would say it's second, if not third, to safety. And that's why you probably see some really good marketers kind of lead with safety and asking, you know, before you walk into a Walmart that you put on a mask and just making things like that very clear, because safety is, it's it's by far number one on people's mind and and how they're making choices about what they will and won't do right now. Technology and privacy second. The other thing I think is is, is probably interesting to mention if you're trying to get into the head of your customer and what you can do about it is, is that altruism has increased. So for example, 49% of Americans care about being respected and 42% Care about making money, and so as you're trying to speak to people and help people and figure out, frankly, how to get them to buy your product, those are important things to probably consider.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's funny, not funny, I guess. Uh, interesting, I interesting. Say. <laughs> yeah, is the if I think back to psychology courses, you know, and Maslow's hierarchy of needs as our foundation has been shaken with this pandemic and and all the things that are going on in the world, that it is natural, I think, to your point, that safety would be now a higher priority and demonstrating that. And that altruism probably gets to the, um, you know, just human condition, right? Like before I can even think about optimizing my bank account, I just need human connection and I need to be be and feel respected and safe.
2: Yeah, it's so true. I mean, and listen, I, th- I, think, I think it's worth mentioning slightly less warm, but the, the opportunity is that everyone's on screens. And so, right. I mean, just on screens so, so much more and, and how this plays out, like I'm seeing some, for one on screens, you can measure everything, right? So, so in addition to all of the, the ways you can make it more frictionless or trustworthy and all the things you can do upfront, because you know, everyone's on a screen, you can also kind of measure, learn and adapt, And so if you're not measuring more than you ever have before, you know, what a shame because everyone's on screens. I think how this might play out to bring it back to our industry for a moment is what I'm hearing in just sort of talking to friends that are on both sides of the upfront is that I think you will finally see the digital evolution of the upfronts play out this year. I think you'll see more multi-screen inventory being sold and bought. It's been the promise for a long time, but I think this year, because everyone is on screens and it is so measurable, you'll see a new, hopefully up come September, a new, a new upfront with much more of a multi-screen distribution.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Interesting. I would love to see us try to also optimize show content itself potentially trying to figure out old school integrations right <laughs> like especially as some of the streaming platforms continue to take off that are not don't have advertising i think that's um a new frontier an old new frontier so to speak of uh should be pursued as well but yeah that makes perfect sense about the up front. well i love talking about data but i also love talking about the person behind the microphone <laughs> so I'd love to switch switch gears a little bit and ask you a few questions. I like asking all the guests that come on, and um, my favorite one is: you know, Has there been an experience of your past that makes up or defines who you are today?
2: So many, but but I think I think you know because it's a marketing marketing conversation we're trying to have. I'll, I'll share this one, which is: um, So I my first sales job was basically going door to door in mini malls during the summer in Arizona, trying to sell this entertainment book participation, right? Like, Hey, be part of this entertainment book. And so restaurants and hair salons and dry cleaners, you know, in the middle of the summer, I was just kind of door to door. Do you want to be part of this local entertainment book? I mean, it was, it was just brutal. And so in addition to, you know, getting a lot of rejection and thickening my skin as, as just a, just a person, which was great, I, did come across as one of the customers I was selling to this um, car repair company. And I show up with my laminated three ring binder pictures of how it all plays out and how you can be part of this entertainment book. And the gentleman I was calling on was an ex finance guy. And he basically sat me down and he's like, I don't care about any of this. Do you want to know how you sell to me? and i was like yeah sure and he basically taught me how to sell with data sell with a spreadsheet in excel really talked to him about roi he was an ex finance guy he didn't want the pictures in my three ring binder and so it was such a good i mean it was just an early lesson in my career to a just kind of be more empathetic and figure out what makes the person across the table tick but this data plus storytelling as part of a pitch and how they kind of danced together was was such a good lesson for me. And I'm so I'm forever grateful to to him. And he's been my mentor ever since. I mean just kind of helping me, hey, like we were talking about earlier, not make assumptions. I mean he was this 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 place I walked into was an auto repair shop. And I met, you know, in this auto repair shop, one of the most sophisticated marketers I've met in my entire career. So, and he's been my mentor ever since. So, so that's, that's been, you know, that data and that ROI in my storytelling is something I've been able to improve upon because of that incident in him.
1: Well, I respect anybody that's done door-to-door sales. Is, that is no joke. But you did it in Arizona in the summer. That must have been like, I'm sweating just thinking about it.
2: <laughs> so bad. Oh, it was so brutal. It was great, though. I look back on it and just laugh.
1: Oh, That's great. Well, what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over?
2: I mean, I, I love this one, and I probably overuse it. But, but someone once said to me, if you think you're babbling, you are. Right, like you know, because it does. You know, whenever you're in conversation and you're like, "Am I running on a little bit here?" Like the answer is absolutely yes. (laughs) And so it's it's taught me to sort of be a little bit more concise, and especially because I did kind of grow up through sort of sales and buying, you start to look really guilty when you're babbling, blah 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 blah. Like, oh my gosh, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. So anyway, I, I really I'll try and practice what I preach and stop with that question. (laughs)
1: I need to put a bumper sticker on my car that says that if you think you're babbling, you are. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, one of the questions I like talking about now, is kind of a silly one, but is if there's been an impactful purchase that you've made of say $100 or less in the last six to 12 months.
2: This was a really fun one to think about. I love this one and I'm going to not play totally by the rules because my answer is going to be I bought a Roomba. And it's more than a hundred bucks. So here's the thing that is so fascinating about this room, but besides the fact that it is like literally cleaning my floors, is that my job before GWI was at IBM. And I really, one of the things that's so great about IBM and working for IBM is you really understand the power of technology, right? I mean, I saw firsthand how AI worked, how blockchain solved huge business problems. I was like, yeah, I get technology. I get the power of it. But there is something that's a little esoteric when technology is behind the scenes. That when I bought this Roomba and I watch it do, I watch a robot do something I don't want to do, it's got me thinking of what else I can outsource to technology. I'm like, oh man, I am not optimizing my life to technology nearly as much as I could. This Roomba has, I'm like, what else can I have this Roomba do? What else can I buy that's like this Roomba that is gonna do something that's gonna like optimize me and do something I really don't wanna do? So it's been, I thought I understood technology and its power, but seeing something so tangible that's a robot do something has been just eye-opening. I just love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll definitely allow you to break the rules because we have um, the equivalent of a Roomba. I don't think it's the brand name is Roomba here, but I love watching that thing too. Because every time I'm watching it, it means I'm not doing what it's doing.
2: Right. <laughs> so, it, it makes me so happy. I realize I do kind of sound like a Roomba ad, but it's it's been really, I've gotten very philosophical about this vacuum cleaner.
1: <laughs> well, this is why I like this silly question because you never know where it's going to go. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> so,
2: it's good.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, two more questions, a little bit more marketing focused. Are there any brands or companies or causes that you're you're noticing or or tracking or, or think other people should just take notice of?
2: So also a fun one that I've been paying attention to because I have a 15 year old son and a 13 year old daughter is these concerts that are playing out inside of video games. So Epic Games has a game Fortnite that if you've got a kid, you've heard of it. You're either keeping them off of it or you're completely embracing it during the pandemic because it's the only way they've been able to socialize. But they, you know, like they basically had Travis Scott come in and do a concert and with very limited promotion, drew over 12 million users in an hour's time. And every concert since, my kid and their friends literally queue up digitally for these concerts inside of a video game which by the way has a great SaaS model like a subscription you know arr model in addition to buying the hardware in addition to gathering us around watching a concert i'm like oh my god this is incredible in these times and so it's not you know obviously they go to play Fortnite, but but now they go this is where they listen to concerts honestly they're not on you know i mean yes they're actually on youtube and tiktok and Spotify as well. But now this gaming company is pulling music streaming audiences and concert going audiences into their game. So I I just thought like, oh man, we're just sitting around And, and they actually do a really exciting activation of it. They make it really powerful. It's really fun. It's really well done.
1: Yeah, I'll have to check that out. My 12-year-old daughter is is not in the Fortnite. She she tried it once but, but way before now, but she is into the Sims, which cracks me up because I used to play the Sims like back in the yeah. day.
2: Dang, that's so good. It's funny I mean, you know, right. You could hear, you could hear. I'm I'm supportive, especially in these times of of gaming if done right. I mean, obviously every game's quite different, but I think some of them are actually really, really interesting and 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 crushing it. I mean, just to even look at Animal Crossings numbers right now, like, oh my gosh, incredible. I mean, on a on a sort of less entertainment note, I also have been paying attention to Verizon. I was um I was reading an article and listening and kind of just researching their CEO, and they're really, really trying to do more right by society in a lot of different ways. And so these big brands, uh, you know, as far as kind of who's talking the talk and walking the walk, it does... Appear that brands like Verizon are really doing both quite well. I don't know what it's like to work there and how they're treating employees and and all of that, but I do have a lot of friends that are happy there. And I do just, just in kind of witnessing what they're trying to do to get technology as an equalizer in the hands of more people, I think and hope will play out for them as a brand.
1: That's awesome. Well, last question for you What do you feel like is either the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today?
2: I mean, we talked a little bit about the opportunity, which is just everyone being on screens. OK, what are you going to do about it? Right. Like, how are you going to sell through screens more? And then also, I just think the the measurement piece is, is a really beautiful fume of having everyone on screens. But I think the other thing that, you know, depending on if you're a glass half full or a glass half empty person, someone deem it a threat. I think it's an opportunity is this trust issue that we started with. And so if there is a huge lack of trust across the board, whether it's a media company or a social platform or a brand, what an amazing opportunity to really kind of do right by the customer, which we talked a lot about how to do that and actually gain trust and therefore gain sales of a customer. So I don't, I think that this lack of trust is a a pretty huge opportunity to, to try and get some stuff right. and kind of come out of this pandemic, hopefully, with um, not less sales, but more sales.
1: Love it. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you so much for having me and GWI. We really appreciate it.
1: Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.